Hey, listeners, before we get going with this week's episode, we wanted to let you know that there's some sensitive topics that come up, including a conversation around suicide. It might not be an episode that is suitable for all ages, and there may be some people that are triggered by the certain specific content in this episode. Please listen responsibly. I really want it to be 80s newscaster music. with any sect, denomination, political entity, organization, or institution, does not engage in any controversy, neither endorses nor opposes any cause. Neither do we. We are not affiliated with Al-Anon or any other 12-step program. The opinions expressed here are strictly of the person who gave them. Please take what you like and leave the rest. Hi, I'm Corey. Hi, Corey. Hi, I'm Claire. Hi, Claire. And this is Crosstalk. Today is a very special episode of Crosstalk. It is the first of two episodes where we have decided that we are going to introduce you to your hosts, Corey and Claire. And we're going to do it in a non-traditional way because we're non-traditional in this podcast and we are not affiliated with the program. So we're going to crosstalk the whole time. It's going to be a A to Z crosstalk extravaganza. And you're going to learn about us, hopefully, a little bit uh, through the crosstalk. And I'm going to use the word crosstalk as much as I can because it's a good word. Uh, but no, so we're here today. Um, Claire's in Los Angeles and Corey is in Chicago. Um, Not that it matters where we are because recovery is without bounds. Indeed. Well, welcome to the pod today, Claire. Um, how are you doing? Thanks, Corey. You know, I'm a little parched, but um, other than that, I just had a little sip, so I'm feeling good. I love it. Well, I'm excited about this this particular format. It will be special just to our episodes, uh, and we will return to your regularly scheduled format in a couple weeks. But um, just to kick it off here, Claire, um, am yes, I to understand Corey. that you have been and are a member of the Al-Anon program? That's correct. Yeah. I have a sexy coming up on six years of, of program recovery. And you measure your recovery by years doing the steps, right? Interesting. No, I measure my recovery by years of regular attendance. Oh, I thought you believed it was when you started with a sponsor that it counted. Nope. I thought we've debated this because I'm coming up on, God, eight now, I think. Uh, listen, I think that your recovery really starts when you start with a sponsor and when you start working the steps. I think I do believe that like we go to the meetings to feel better and we work the steps to get better. So that's, in my experience, what resonates is true. Um so, but I do think that the program like will work you whether you're working it or not. If you show up regularly, like if you showed up, if I showed up to the me- three meetings a week for like two years straight, but never got a sponsor and never worked the steps, I don't know how I wouldn't be able to change somewhat, you know, but in terms mm-hmm. of like sponsoring someone, um, really, this is like truly an opinion. I really think that like when I think about like, okay, this is like when you start to gain the seconds, you know, like a pause. So it's like mm-hmm. for every year you get a second of pause, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that it's like once you really start working the stuff. It just is a whole different ball game. It yeah. really just is different. Oh. And it's like whatever works for you, however long, whenever that takes or doesn't take, it doesn't matter. We all have our own higher power. And I don't want to be like beating a dead horse, but I really just want to say that like any amount of program is good, whatever it is and whatever it looks like and is like helpful. And I think will change how you show up in your life, uh, at least in my experience. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I thought we had that debate because I, I also agree that I, I, I mark it from when I came to the room. So Claire, tell me what it was like to grow up in an alcoholic home. Oh my God, I'd love to. I would just love to tell you all about it. What do you not know, Corey? You don't know what that's like? I do, but I want to hear what your experience was like. <sighs> I always, I, oh, it's so interesting because like, I find it really different and um, I have to like reach into another part of myself that I have a lot of resolution around this all, all honestly about the the history and doesn't mean that hysterical historical things don't come up but um it really takes me like a whole nother kind of switching of the body to like kind of just like get into it um well i think that's interesting before you go in because yeah. i think if we get further in program the people that i've admired the most and what i've learned spending a lot of time with you is that the story gets less interesting and mm -hmm. the people that you and I from knowing you have aspired to be not like, but have aspired to gleam knowledge from are the people who just leave all the facts in the past out of the story and go right to the feeling and the vulnerability. So I think the less we flex that muscle, it gets harder and harder for me at least to share my past. Maybe the same for you. Yeah, very much so. I mean, in a like, in a like ch negative light, I guess, like the first mm -hmm. thing I wanted to say, <laughs> like, my recovery was like, you know, I grew up with a lot of love. And then it, I also I also like start, you know, when I like qualify in a meeting, which I don't always do, honestly, because like, I qualify to be there just by being there. Um, for myself, like that's to me, I don't believe in qualifiers outside of m myself at this point point i think sometimes identifying a qualifier can be really helpful if you are new to program because sometimes people don't understand why they're there or that they sh that like what works for being there you know um it's like why do i have to be here like this other person is the person drinking and i mean literally again it's like because you have a problem with their drinking that's why because you even know that they are that's that's why uh for me that i go anyways but so, yeah, I always say, like, how I say it today is, like, I have two parents, one that drinks more than the other one likes, you know, um, and still drinks more than the other one likes. Um, but, like, for full, just, like, all all out looseness. Um, yeah, my dad is, so I have a mom and a dad, and then I have two older sisters. And they're 13 and 15 years older than me. So they're a lot older than me. So it's like having, kind of like having four parents, really. Um, and yeah, it's like, whew, it's such a progressive disease. Wow. Like when I reflect back 
on it, I can see how it progressively became, you know, sicker and sicker in the family and, you know, in my dad and, and also sicker. And so my dad's the member that drinks and, um, he's like a beer drinker. That's what his jam jam is. And he loves some cheapo beer and he, you know, he's a great guy. That's the thing. Like it's a, it's a, it's a separate, you know, hate the disease, not the person. Um, he does, he does, he doesn't necessarily identify as an alcoholic. We've had like a couple conversations about it and, and me knowing him and I'm 34. So in my 34 years on this planet, I've had like three maybe four direct conversations about alcohol with him that have been like, Hey, you drink a lot. And you know, him being like, yeah, I do. Like I'm an alcoholic <laughs> and it's like, Oh, cool. So you admit it. Great. You're not, I'm not crazy. Um, uh, what I'm seeing is real and is happening. Um, you know, but this is what my childhood looked like. Okay. It was like, had this family that loved me so much. I was a baby. From what I understand, my parents wanted to have a baby because their kids were getting old and teenage bratty. And I had like what looked like, I think a really lovely, it was just like simple, you know, from the outside, like we lived in a, I lived in Iowa, uh, uh, in a city there that was larger i'll just keep some of that anonymous so i don't know why it doesn't matter i guess but i for some reason want to right now i'll probably say where it was later. <laughs> but um uh, you know i think sometimes anonymity is really cool to like not draw parallels i think it, anonymity can really help like just create a blank slate for like creating your own you just like leave some things out that that makes it like so you can is, is bringing in certain details i think sometimes pollutes stories um but that's how I see anonymity now anyway. So anywho, grew up in a, like a farmhouse uh, style house, pretty big, yard, pretty big, a huge yard compared to Los Angeles. Um, you know, trees. I grew up being outside a lot. Wonderful summers. Like my family's really into, they're, they're all like really creative, craft, crafty people. Um, like we would have done really well in the Renaissance times. <laughs> like we all, we like bake bread and garden. Like I grew up with a huge garden in the backyard and like, is that an Iowa thing? It's like, no, like not, uh, we were really, other people had gardens too, but like we had like corn and potatoes and beans and berries. And like, we had every, we had like, you could just get all, you could just go there instead of the grocery store if you wanted to. Um, grew up cooking and really just like, you know, we went on family vacations. Um, I would say till I was like probably 10 or 11. Um, and you know, it was overall, it was just really seemed pretty normal and regular. And my mom and dad both worked. Um, and there was a lot of chaos. There really was, I think like, even like early on in what I would what I would deem alcoholism, um, in my dad. And then like the, how that affects the family, you know, things would happen where like, this is how I say it today, just like to keep it simple for myself to, is like, it would be like, Oh, Hey, we're going to go for ice cream. Something would happen. And then we wouldn't go anymore <laughs> because, you know, the <laughs> alcoholic changed the, like it, it we're just not going to do that anymore. Um, 
And mm, I wouldn't really say my dad's like a rager necessarily, but he does, he, he can be very violent and aggressive when he's drunk and uh, angry, like for sure. But like, it wasn't like his drug of choice was to rage though. Um, so it was like, I think really confusing for me growing up because it would, I think true to alcoholism in general, like you can't really put a pulse on like when things are going to be fucking nuts. Um, but like the extremes were so extreme in my upbringing, like of love and care and fun and family togetherness and like everybody really getting along and liking each other and like laughing and like being really great friends with each other. Um, like in liking the same things, like literally having the same recreation and hobbies. And to this day, I don't think it's, um, that we didn't know who we were in some aspects. Like there are some things I do today that like my family doesn't and vice versa, but like, we really do like the same shit, um, you know, and like to listen to the same stuff and watch the same stuff. And like, I mean, give me like a Sunday morning, like listening to, um, you know, like prayer, a prairie home companion, like making breakfast and like hanging out and then like going on a walk in the garden. Like we're all in like, Oh, maybe we're going to play some badminton later. Cause it's like nice out, like cool. Um, and in amidst all of that, you know, somebody will argue with somebody, somebody's going to like my, one of my sisters is probably going to try and control like how breakfast is made. Like nothing's going to be good enough. Um, like all of these character defects are going to be there too. Um, and so and then, you know, of course, like as the alcoholic drinks more and more, like he, he would become more and more un unreasonable, you know, uh, um, and unmanageable. And sometimes he, something would trigger him and sometimes something would it. And like, could I say what would trigger the al my alcoholic, you know, like being my dad specifically, like I could not even tell you what the thing is that triggers him. I do not know. But I do know that at some point he may get triggered and it could be a minimal response of him just being like pissy and mad and like storm off. And then, you know, he's mad about something or he could, and there were many times like I would fight with him and then sometimes it would get physical and then sometimes it would escalate to yet like just extreme yelling. Um, you know, and then mom's like crying and like, everything, you know, it's just like, it was chaos. It was the chaos that comes with alcoholism and especially like as it gets, you know, worse and worse. And, um, yeah, when I was, my grandma died, my dad's mom. And I think that was really like when he started drinking a lot more, a lot more, a lot more. Um, and that was when I was 12, I think 11 or 12. And mm -hmm. we were outside my grandparents house shoveling snow I went inside to ask her something and I just knew right away that there was something wrong and I remember like looking around the corner and I could see like bloody clean axes on the floor and so I just like I was out of there and I went and got my dad and was like she needs you like now and she had been really sick um and I actually can't remember what with what exactly but i know that like her lungs were failing and things like that um and she was overweight in a, in a way that was like really hurting her body um and so she she wasn't really that mobile they had like moved the bed downstairs at that point so she could like sleep downstairs and be on one level because they had a bathroom downstairs too so yeah and it's like and we went in and he tried to resuscitate her and he couldn't my dad and 
you know, it's like, I think that that really, that was just like an over the edge thing for him from then on, like, not to say that there, there weren't instant incidents before, but I think that really like took him over to the edge to be like a very, um, unfunctional alcoholic up until then he was a very functional alcoholic. You know, he always had a job. He was always doing whatever, uh, he would have his times when he would get drunk and things like that. But, um, yeah. And so my mom and dad took like a little break. They were maybe going to, this was like maybe like a year after that because maybe I think he was, you know, drunk a lot more. Um, and my mom bought another house. This is alcoholism for you. And like a measurement, my mom bought another house. Like, I mean, everything's close in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, everything's, I said it, everything's close there, but, um, it was like, it's like 10 minutes away. (laughs) It's like, it's like like three or four miles away, but, um, not next door or anything, you know? And so she bought another house. We moved there and I'm not kidding. Like six months later, he moved. He moved in with us. He moved in with us. Um, and it was just fun. Like that part doesn't ever, it didn't ever bother me. And I don't think I was ever really confused about that kind of thing because it was like their relationship. Like it, it didn't really have anything to do with me. Somehow I had the gift of being detached from that part of it. And I also never felt unloved by, by either of them or like pitted against, um, them they didn't really do that with me i know people have that experience but i didn't have the experience where like they do say nasty shit about each other to me to all of their kids for sure like your mom's crazy or like your dad's such an asshole and it's like oh yeah you are crazy and you're an asshole so i don't know everybody's just saying things they're true right now i don't <laughs> and you're all loving and sweet you know when you also so um yeah, so the whole moving stuff didn't it, it was a weird time and it was uncomfortable and in that time too when we were living it um I don't know if he had moved in with us yet or not but we had had a dinner like with just my and I really want to do like some past uh like you know re- repressed memory work outside work around this particular incident because like I feel like nobody has like real answers for me but my dad had gotten like really drunk and we were at a just having dinner my mom my dad and my grandpa and yeah I still don't know what exactly happened to this day but I do remember that my dad had a gun and he had his gun out and he was like in the garage and he had been drinking and he was just like had it and I remember like being inside watching them in the driveway. So it was like a, a backyard, like circle driveway. Um, and my grandpa was just like out there talking with him. And then they called the police on him and had him arrested. And it was really like not low drama for what it was. <laughs> I know that sounds crazy, but it really was low drama for what it was. And that like, I don't really remember there being a lot of yelling or, or anything. And, um, he was very like submissive from my memory anyway. Again, I'd love to do some work on it to like, see if there's more memories that I am not able to reach right now, you know? Um, yeah. And then my, and then one of my siblings and my mom signed him into like a, 
that that Thanksgiving, it wasn't uh, it wasn't then, but it was later. They had they like signed it so that he would, you know, go into like a, a whatever five day or whatever because he was a dangerous to himself and others essentially. Um, so like forced rehabilitation or whatever. And that was the first time I ever was in an Al-Anon meeting. And it's so funny because oh. I've spoken at uh, essentially like rehab centers like that, where like the family sits there, everybody's there when the person's like leaving. And um, yeah, it's so fascinating to look back and be like sitting in this room, like, like, like everybody like hating that they're there and like, and like my family <laughs> no, being not a like, fun time for them at that point. It's so not fun. And like everybody being like, this is stupid and like, oh, well, we're not going to do that. But like, he needs like, and like hit less leaving and him leaving like these pamphlets that like, <laughs> like, is there a better way? Like, is there a better way? Um, it's interesting. I don't know. It's interesting. I just kind of wonder if that works ever for anybody, you know, because. It didn't, it didn't work for, none of my families got into Al-Anon. My dad surely didn't start going to AA. It's just really, really fascinating. I mean, I think there must be a percentage of people that it works for, but, um, my two sisters and my parents still live in the same town. Um, you know, not super close to each other, but not like really far apart either. Um, and yeah, let's see. Uh, I don't know. Do you have any specific questions about well, all that? You want to dig so in? I think that's a good foundation to go that's with. A good foundation yeah. of what it was like. Um, would you say was that a, that particular time, or is there another time when you were most sort of afraid for your life? If you were ever afraid for your life, or what felt like interesting as a kid, your life? Yeah, you know, I mean, you mean like the gun situation? Well, I mean, yeah, that, or is it like the places like? when I tell the story of growing up, there's always a couple of key nugget stories, right? Sure. Where if the average person that might be kind of a bit, a lot, but in our growing up, we're like, Oh yeah. And then there was a time that, um, da, 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 da. and there were times that were very, very unsafe. And I think that unsafety is a really interesting part of growing up in an alcoholic home. The key yeah. part. So I'm curious yeah. what, like, what's that story where you're, where you tell the story and people are like, are you fucking kidding me? If there is such a thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's interesting because, like, the the gun thing seems really scary, but it really – I was afraid for him. I mean, I think the whole thing was, like, he was going to kill himself. I think that was what that was about. It wasn't about yeah. – I, I didn't feel – I didn't personally feel in danger. I felt like something bad, quote-unquote bad, is going to happen. Yeah. Um, so, like, that impending doom, which, wow – amazing connectivity to like my character defects in this moment which is that like I truly am very rarely afraid of my safety and I'm more like afraid of like other people mm. and how what I'm doing is affecting other people right which is the mm. people pleasing that comes up um but like m at least like my safety was really more like I was bullied as a kid and I think like, I didn't feel like it was a big enough thing maybe to talk about, or I did for whatever reason, I didn't feel safe to talk about it. Um, but, and it's actually more stuff like that, that I feel really unsafe in life mm. today is like, like I'm a, a queer, like gender nonconforming. Um, <clears throat> my partner said the other day, cause I wouldn't, I don't identify as, I don't identify as trans, but I definitely do feel 
there is a transness and like so she was like trans light and i was like yeah i'm trans light <laughs> um and we were cracking up it's so funny like and I, I just say that to mean that like i was very different as a kid than like the average kid and like my mom would like and my parents both my mom and dad would like let would let me wear whatever i wanted and like were very supportive of me wearing and looking however i wanted and playing whatever kind of sports or not sports or art or not like literally just being myself they were and I think my sisters were kind of more protective in that way that they wanted me to fit in. So I didn't get bullied. Um, so that was really confusing, but it, like the not feeling safe thing at home didn't come from big events like, like that oddly enough, they came from like smaller things, you know? And like, I do have, of course I have stories. Like one of them is my dad worked at a toys. I mean, he managed KB a KB toys for years as a kid. Um, like all of my childhood. And then like maybe till I was like 10 or 11. Um, interesting. The same time. So of course it's always the same time. Uh, the, 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 the like a huge events happen and then shit fucking shifts and goes crazier. Um, anyway, so I had gotten this, he had gotten me this basketball, this like little one. And I was like playing with it in the house and like throwing it up against the wall. And he had come by and he had asked me, he was like, don't play, don't do that in the house. And I was like, ah, whatever. And <laughs> I just kept doing it probably because I wanted his attention. Um, and he grabbed it like midair and took his pocket knife out and like jabbed a hole in it. It was like, I guess can't play with it anymore. And like, it was just like, ugh, you know, like, Again, I didn't think he was going to hurt me, but you don't feel safe when that's going mm -hmm. on. Like that doesn't feel no. fucking safe at all. Um, and, and it's very much then, about the the person who's doing it. It's their reaction becomes the biggest thing in the room. It's not at that point. No one's worried about what you will think of that or how you will feel about that. Yes, yes, and it's like, well, if they do, they can do that. Like, what else will they fucking do? It's just right. so unpredictable. Um, and then he bought me a new one the next day. Like he brought a new one home the next day. <laughs> so it's like such like contradictory experiences, right? Um, and right, so it's confusing. Like which is it? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I, as a young young kid, remember there were. I remember two very specific times where I was woken up in the middle of the night by a, a sister. And was like taken to the car, like as a kid, maybe like six or or whatever. Um, and my, cause my mom was just like taking her, getting her kids out of there. Cause and I don't know what happened to, you know, I don't know what preceded that decision in that moment at that mm -hmm. time. And I actually have never asked really. I just know that, you know, she didn't feel like her family was safe. So, and then we would spend like the weekend at like a hotel with like a, indoor pool or something fun he's <laughs> 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 like okay um you know so uh you know that doesn't feel good right that's scary <laughs> that's like what's this you know you don't as a little kid i don't know um and my dad and i used to like wrestle but like fight wrestle um when I, when I, cause I would challenge him. My sisters were, were not that way. My oldest sister is that way and would challenge him too, but I would challenge him physically. I think just because I'm, I'm just that, I'm that way. I'm very like, 
I think I wanted to be like him growing up and he was very physical guy and, um, really protective and he was in the military at one point in the Navy in Vietnam. And I think there's a lot of trauma from that that's never been healed. And, um, and he, he's like that dad that's like, I mean, not that there is a specific type of dad like this, but he's this, he's the kind of person that will say things like this. He would say things like this to me. You don't ever have to feel unsafe because if somebody ever hurt you, I will find them and kill them and I will bury them and no one will ever know. <laughs> it would be like, no safer than that. Great. <laughs> you, in which case, yeah. <laughs> you know, you would just be like, if anybody ever hurts any of my girls, I will kill them. Um, and it's like, maybe he would like, I really don't, I don't doubt that as like a thing he would do. But I also don't, you know, it's just like, who says that? Come on. That's alcoholism. Like, it's so extreme. It's so, like, out of fear of, like, this is how big, like, my reaction has to be because I'm so afraid. Um, but so I was, like, pretty aggressive, too, and uh, as a kid. And, and I grew up with, I don't believe in gender, but I grew up with three boys that, like, identify as cis boys and men today. And uh, we did a lot of, like, that kind of stuff. We played war and we played like capture the flag and like we were very like aggressive with each other so I've always been really physical in that way um so I'd fight my dad I would get he would get mad and then I would challenge him and then we would end up like rolling around on the floor like and he would like pin me down and then just be like you still want to fight me you're such a tough guy. You still want to fight me? You know, and it's just like, who does that with a kid? Like, who does that? This is fucked up. It's crazy. It's crazy. Um, which, of your, which of your character defects, if you would use the word defects, to this period of time in your sure. recovery, which do you think served you the best in that home growing up? Or the most mm. useful tool in the toolbox? Which Which tool that was a weapon at the time? Yeah, which defect? I mean, we can call them, you know, we're assuming they're defects, right? I'm going to assume that. Sure. But um, yeah, what do you think was the one that was the most important to sort of get through that period? Oh, I think people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah, manipulation, right? Because I, I was just really good. I love that I think that I was really good at it in this moment. I was really <laughs> good preventing things from happening. Oh. <laughs> Ah, that's hilarious. Probably not true. Um, yeah, I do. I think that the ability to read a quote unquote read a room and, um, I was a chameleon for a long time in terms of like relating to people. So like, I don't think that I create relationships anymore that I'm not interested in spending time there like because I know what I like and what I don't like today um mm -hmm. but like for a long time you know I would just I'm really good at bonding with people because I'm good at just like listening but listening in order to this was the defect right listening in order to take what I needed to give you what you're looking for Mm -hmm. I was really good at that, you know, so like I could sit with my dad, he may be, he may be drinking or not, you know, and, oh, he wants to talk about the, the Beatles. Cool. Let's talk about the Beatles. Oh, he wants to put on a record. Cool. Let's talk about, a, you know, let's do that. Um, 
you know, as a and, way to prevent the worst things from happening. Yeah. Just being like, which I think is, is very, very common in program. You know, that's where that comes from is like, if I do stuff that this person likes, things will be okay. If mm. I just stay doing the things that this person likes, then everything, nobody will get mad and everything will be okay. Um, did you think that you grew up in alcoholism or did you have to later identify as someone who grew up in alcoholism when you got into Al-Anon? Oh, did you always know? I knew, I knew my dad was drinking for sure. And I think like also one of my siblings was a big partier for a long time. And also I was a partier for <laughs> an early part of my life. Um, like late in my teens and then like early twenties, I have like a decade of doing that or or eight years or so. Um, and, but it was cool. There was something about it that was cool. I didn't ever think of it as like, it was kind of like, don't talk about it for sure. Because I think that that's a huge running theme. Like we don't talk about it in that way. Mm -hmm. Um, and also there was like a coolness to it. Like if you wanted to, if I, if I wanted to have a drink on the weekend with friends, we would just go to my parents' house and that yeah, was safe <laughs> and it was a safe place to do it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And truly in some ways, like I'm really grateful for it because mm -hmm. like I really had, a, again, like I just want to touch note on like, you know, as we have more program, right? Like our, they say like the more years you have, like the better your childhood gets. And really honestly, like I'm so blessed and fortunate. I had a lot of really wonderful stuff, you know, like a lot of wonderful stuff. I can't say that I ever like, didn't have, you know, I was never without, I really wasn't. Uh, I always had more than I needed all around and fun things and, uh, all the foods I could want and all of that kind of stuff. I always felt taken care of in that way. Um, I mean, granted, like my, I wouldn't say that I was taught how to use, like, I wasn't taught like great financial planning at all whatsoever, but like my parents didn't have those tools, you know, but right. they always like had treats for us and fun for us. And they really expressed to me always and still do that. They just, my mom and my dad will both like, my mom will say it. And then my dad just like kind of looks and nods like lovingly. Um, and she, you know, what she says is like, we really just wanted to give you kids a better, a better childhood than we ever had. And like mm -hmm. they did, I think they did do that. There was still a lot of the chaos and everything, but like, I see their evolution from like what they grew up in and like, to like what we got and alcoholism fucking sucks. Like we know this, you know, I know that, um, there was so much really wonderful, wonderful, wonderful stuff that I got Christmases and celebrations and birthday, extravagant birthday parties. And my sisters too, like, you know, my family's really fun. Like they're fun people. Um, I kind of forget what your question was, Corey, right there, but <laughs> no, it's, it's, uh, it's all very a good insight into you. So, so then, you know, what brought you into Al-Anon? Oh, you had, you had asked previously if you knew, if, uh, if I knew they were, we were drinking or that people were drinkers. Yeah, for sure. Um, also my, my parents are a little hoardery. They're a little hoardery. And so like, that's uncomfortable and weird too. Like, cause the older I got, yeah. it was like the more that was going on. And so it was like, this is not like everybody else. Like, I think you grow up, for me, I grew up knowing like we've got something different going on here than maybe those people do over there. Um, but luckily I found other friends and people to 
connect with that maybe also had dysfunctional homes too. And so I, I didn't feel solely alone in that. Um, so what brought me to program was your question. It was. Yeah. I had repeated the enmeshed, um, codependent style relationship partnership that I had watched in my upbringing. So I was in my like third, <laughs> I was like, Oh, how old was I when I came to program? Uh, 28 and 30, but that makes sense. Yeah. 28. So I was in my third, uh, long, long term relationship as a serial monogamist for a minute maybe i still am because mm -hmm. i'm in a long-term relationship now but <laughs> uh <laughs> but um we had been together for like four years and they had gotten sober when i started um when we started hanging out and then we started dating and we had a very you know it wasn't as dramatic as it had as i think previous breakups had been but it, there was some drama bullshit going on, you know, we had like tried Pauliness a little bit and then, um, and then that like kind of tanked and, <laughs> and there was like, I, they were living with me while well, we were living together at the time. And then they were like seeing this person, um, and like over the course of this, like three days after we were like decided we were going to break up because like they weren't in love with me and like didn't want to be with me in that way. And I was like, what the fuck? I thought we were going to get married. And um, I was like, cool, we, we can't be together. Like you can stay here, of course, for a little while, you know, but um, and so anyways, then they, they would like kept. I would come home from work and they would literally be on the phone, like on speakerphone with this person that they were like fucking and i was just like that's it i was like you gotta go you gotta you're out you know i like made an outreach call to like people who were are then were in a program not in al-anon but they were in a program and i felt safe calling them they were really good friends of, of mine and my partners at the time and they were like do you feel safe and i was like well i don't i i mean like this person's not gonna hurt me physically and they were like no do you feel emotionally safe and I was, that was the first time in my life that I was like, oh my God, I've never thought about that. So then I was just like, I don't feel, it was just mind blowing, uh, you know? And I was like, okay, cool. I get to now create an emotionally safe space for myself. This I think was like the first moment of higher power, just like dropping its fucking ass on my face and being, <laughs> and being like, Hey, so we're going to do this different. And, um, so I, I literally like, cause I had, I'd stepped like out of the apartment and like made this phone call. And so then I like went back in and I was like, Hey, you have to go you can't be here anymore. You have 24 hours. And then they were like, well, I'm really sorry. And I was like, nope, like I had made these boundaries with you and you broke them. And it's just like done. Like the, you don't need to be here. And I want you mm -hmm. here. And I'm not safe. I don't feel safe. And then they want to make all these excuses. And I was just like, you know, I really don't care. They're like, where am I going to go? And I was like, I don't know. And I don't care. <laughs> like you fucked it up. You know, like it was the own thing. I was like, please don't be on the phone with this person anymore in front of me. And you did it. So it's like done. And then I literally like, um, 
like made myself a lovely dinner and like was not, they like wanted to keep talking to me. And I was like, I'm not available. It's like really felt like the first time in a, like a non-dramatic way and a very like acceptance, what I understand to be like awareness and acceptance and action today. Like the mm-hmm. first time without even knowing that I was practicing that. And so they left and literally that week I went to my first Al-Anon meeting and like, <sighs> I actually recently, this is so funny. Um, they made an amends to me mm-hmm. like, I don't know, three years ago now? Or From the other half, program? Two, mm-hmm, two and a half years ago. I'm so grateful that they had recovery before I got into program. I think I was like really primed for the program. And I was just so ready when I fell in. I was like, yes. I was like, I will drink the Kool-Aid. I will sell the Kool-Aid. I mean, I don't think that we're a cult or anything, but like in the sense (laughs) of like just that metaphor, I was like, where do I sign up to volunteer to like, (laughs) like, how do I get involved? Like, I want to be the poster child for Al-Anon. Like I was really that way. And that hasn't really changed for me, honestly, like in six years, like I fucking love program. And I think that just seeing how program changed this, you know, this, my old partners, my ex partners life, because it really did. And then my gosh, receiving an amends like three years later was like, and then recently they reached out to me and they were like, they were like, Hey, do you want to connect? you want to try connecting? And I was like, I would love to. And we had this like hour long call a couple weekends ago. It was fabulous. And we're like really excited to be in each other's lives again, because you know, this is like living in the gray, right? Like this person, we were, I loved the, I love them so much. Like we were great friends, like excellent Mm -hmm. friends. Our love, our romantic relationship was never going to work because it never, it, it, you know, I think that, they didn't really know themselves when we started dating and I didn't know myself enough to know they didn't know themselves. I didn't know what to look out for. I didn't have any idea how to filter flags. You know, I didn't, people make that joke, you know, like I saw red flags and I thought it was a party. Um, I didn't even see red flags. Let's be honest. Like I'm so ignorant in in that like sweet, innocent way sometimes where it's like, I don't even notice that there's flat. I'm just like, cool. Like you're fun. And I like you. And like, we both like to do this thing. Let's just get married. You know, um, (laughs) (laughs) because, because that's what I was shown, you know, like my parents really do love each other and have a lot of fun. So, and there's a lot of pain, like that, that message of like love equals pain plus pleasure ultimately. Like, Right. Like fun, love and amazingness. And then like, that's what a relationship is supposed to be. It's supposed to be equal love and equal pain. And then, you know, you're in a relationship. So like, that's literally what I saw until mm-hmm. I hit program, you know. And so you joined program. Yes. And what was it like the first time you walked into the room? I love, I like get so, oh, I kind of like, emotional, I guess, but I just, the gratitude I have for program is immeasurable. I was early, which 
Corey is laughing inside his whole body right now because I'm late to everything. Oh my even God, I'm, you're always early to everything. Even oh, our, wait, even our podcast today, I wasn't ready when we were going to start. Oh my God. I wasn't. He was like giving me so much shit for it. I like to take um, pictures of the restaurant. <laughs> like this is the view of what it looks like to go to dinner with Claire because it's the view of an empty chair for at least 15 minutes. <laughs> I should just put a book together of those. That, more, that would be so funny. It's more, it's, I think it's down to like five or 10 though. I don't remember the last time I was 15 minutes late to something. I mean, I don't know. We've been okay, in a pandemic, whatever. so I can't anyways, say. But... Anyways, irrelevant, irrelevant. So I was early though to this meeting, <laughs> which is even funnier because like nobody fucking cares if you're late to an Al-Anon meeting. Thank God. Nope. And, um, like the chairs hadn't even been put up yet and it was a really little room. And so I was like confused if I was even in the right place. And I had like dressed up sort of, um, I mean, I didn't have on like sweats and a t-shirt and this person was just like, what are you here for the Ellen meeting? I was like, yeah. And they were just like, what do you, or I said, I said to them like, what am I supposed to do? You know, like, what do I do here? I don't know how it works. And they were just like, you just, you'll, you'll be fine. You just sit down. You can speak if you want to, you don't have to, but you know, they'll go through it all. It'll be fine. And then I was just like, ah, and then they looked at me and they said, I'm so happy you're here. And that still mm-hmm. just like touches my heart so deeply because I think that's, it's just, I really was just doing a ton of spiritual work and had a big spiritual waking around belonging. Um, and you know, I just didn't, I I think I inherently felt like I didn't belong for a very long time in a lot of places, um, for a lot of different reasons. And like the character defects that uh, the alcoholism gave me really exacerbated that feeling of not feeling belonging somewhere and feeling like just inherently as a human, like I was wrong. Um, and really around my creativity, which is like such a core part of my identity. It's like, oh my God, this is who I am. And it's like, no, no, like that's wrong. That part of you is wrong. So to, for someone to say to me, I'm so happy you're here. Somebody that doesn't know me, like, we're so happy you're here. Was like, you belong here. Like, this is a place where you get to be you. And is very touching. I remember like just sitting in that chair, like waiting for this meeting to start in this fucking tiny room and all the chairs are in a circle and you look at each other and I was like trying not to like just ball like am I <laughs> just like sitting there um and it was really easy you know it was really really easy does it from there program for me is very easy does it anything that is like when I'm participating in program it's just like only a few times have I felt like clunky and uncomfortable and it's um, always been worth really investing in those experiences program related because I got, I've gotten so much out of them. Um, but ultimately I've always felt more safe than, than anything else. Like a duck to water. Jumped Was in. There, how many times would you say, if at all, that you have since getting into program been distant from program or felt like program was distant from you? Never. Never? Mm-mm. Is there a time you can think of that I did feel distant that I'm not remembering? <laughs> I no, no, no. <laughs> it's like, I think for a lot of people, I think, and I think that's one of the things that's so inspiring about you is you you so lived the program. And I think a lot of people I share with have moments where they're like, yeah, that was just a couple months where I was just kind of out of it. 
and I got back in and I love it. It's always waiting for you. So it's just sort of fascinating that it really never, really never left you. And it seems from my impression of you that it just sort of became one of the most, I mean, really the core through line of how you exist. It is. It's my practice. It is my spiritual. I mean, this is a spiritual program and, and I, so I'm taught and it says in our literature and I feel like it is my spiritual practice. Here's the thing. Like when I even start to step away from it, even for a day and a moment and an hour, like it feels like shit. Like mm-hmm. this experience, I am, I live very visceral in my experience. I'm very sensitive and I would say like empathic. And so like my feelings are very intense inside my human, um, you know, which I think is for a lot of people. Right. And I think a lot of people that have trauma, you you can be more sensitive to feelings and things. And my awareness is just like, always. I was willing, I think, you know, like, look, I wanted to fucking change. Like I was like, this did not work. What I was doing was sucky compared like it was just like sure like I had a car and like life was fine and I was like had a great job but like I was so stressed all the time trying to do things for other people so it just like when I started to hear everything uh, and just I really didn't like the phrase stick with the winners early on but I get it in a way now where to me it is it just feels so like exclusive and I really believe programs is intended to be inclusive but the way that I understand stick with the winners is like, see people look for people that have what you want and just like go for them and you'll just get more of what you want. So it's really just a selfish act of wanting to be more happy, joyous and free all the time. And just so mm-hmm. distant. I'm just so not interested in the bitter taste of what life looks like without program. Mm. This is without program suck. Sorry. I'm just like, <laughs> Just like, why would I not? It's so easy too. Like, I don't know. I mean, for me, it is so easy. It's like, is it the the actions are easy, right? Like, easy does it. I'm not saying that like there isn't labor. Like, it works if you work it. You, I go to work on my program. Like, I sweat. I bleed. I cry. Like, there, it is exhausting. I have like periods of feeling just like, oh God, I'm so exhausted for all that all that labor I did, that emotional labor around program work mm-hmm. um the rewards are so great though that i know it's worth it every time and the things are easy reading the do's and don'ts is simple it doesn't take much time i put them they live the do's and don'ts live inside my medicine cabinet i read them while i brush my teeth that's not hard it isn't hard even now like it's so easy to get on a zoom meeting or phone meeting and or make an outreach call. And does it feel conflicting in my body or did it early in program? 100%. I didn't want to pick up that phone and do it, but it's not actually hard to do it. Does that make sense? Right. It's not physically or time or what it is not actually difficult skill wise. It's just, it might be emotionally taxing. What's the, what's the hardest thing that you were, you could either say that you had to give up, or I would say that you were asked to give up through program the hardest thing to give up pity or person pitying myself and judging other people you liked it it was still part of oh yeah you know god my life's so hard and everything's just so hard and i just have the worst and like i was totally a one-upper 
You know, it mm. was like, oh, yeah, did you hit your toe? Well, I hit my- Have you seen that SNL skit? I think it's SNL. Where she's yeah. like. <laughs> Is it like Debbie Downer or whatever? She's like, well, people are starving in Uganda or whatever. I mean, that one is excellent, too. That one is totally excellent, too. But no, there's another one where she's like, it's literally like. Just they're at a party, you know, whatever. This character, God, I gotta find it because it's so funny. But she's like, she's literally like the one upper, and she's like, uh, uh, you know, like let's say they're at a party, and she's like, oh yeah, well I brought this cheese, and she's like, oh well I brought this cheese, and I also made it myself. And then, okay. and then the next person's like, oh really? Well my cheese came from these goats that I actually have in my backyard. And she's like, oh yeah. Anyways, it like escalates until she finally says like, I am the goat. <laughs> That was me. I was literally like, yeah, but like I went to this, you know, it was just, it was always like having to, to be more and better because like I hated myself so much. I really did like hate myself a lot. I loved myself too, but I also, I don't hate myself at all anymore. I mm-hmm. when it, it happens. It happens because of my disease, but I don't believe it. And I, and I immediately address it because it's like, oh, this thing's going to get in the way you know, of my happy, joyous and freeness. So I got to talk to somebody about hating myself right now and thinking I'm a piece of shit. I didn't even know that I thought I was a piece of shit before, you know, it was like be the fish in water doesn't know it's in water. It's like that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. What is the moment if you have one that you knew or felt that there was a higher power, like the first real big moment? Pre-program or post-program? That's a good question. I would have said program, but I guess if you came in with a higher power. I did. I think that's a unique thing, too. Mm. A loving higher power. I didn't come in needing to deconstruct my higher power. That I had already done that work. So, like so did said, you feel like, like you so needed primed. to come to believe that there was a power greater than you, or you already came with that? I knew there was a power greater than me already. Hmm. But I, I believe that I come to believe every day. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a one. It's not, you know, it's, it's, we came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. It's not, we came to believe the one time and then it was done forever. <laughs> It's actually a made decision, made decision to turn my will in my life over, right? It's three. So came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore us to sanity. Um, you know, there wasn't a one time, but I do like, as a kid, remember talking to my mom's dad who had died, like in the clouds. And I would lay down and, and, and sometimes I would just talk to him when I was like upset or stressed really about like alcohol stuff, honestly, like living in that home and somebody was fighting or something, I would go out into the yard and then like talk to him and be like, Pepe, like, ah, just, I'm so sad. Like, um, you know, can you just, I'm just going to give you this. And I remember when I removed the idea of like, my mom grew up in Catholicism, but she didn't practice it, but like my relatives do. And so like, that was like the organized religion I had for reference. And I remember like, I used to like, when I would go by churches, I would like cross myself, but I would do it like really small. So people didn't know I was doing it. And, um, 
because I was like really trying to desperately like connect with something greater than myself, like, cause I felt it inside me, you know? Um, but like, but like those models of it didn't make sense to me. Um, they, I mean, in fact, like re would reject like who I actually am as a human being. And so I think I remember this time when I was like walking by this church and I was like, fuck you church. I was literally, <laughs> it was like winter and it was cold and I was in Des Moines and I was like, fuck you church. I was like, you know what? I'm going to believe in God wherever the fuck I want. And I was like, this was way before program. I was like, I don't know, like 21 or something. And, and then I started to really pursue like, like my higher power is not a specific thing out there. It's very much my own design um, that speaks to me. Cut to episode one, I think. We can hear more about that. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But it's like, you know, just in short, it's like some Buddhism, like some just like, it's really like a bigger universe. It is so much bigger than me that it is really, and I really do believe in it. I trust in it. I trust that if I can let it go, it, I will get more than I could ever dream of that I could ever do. And that came to me through program. That came to me through program. I have a really loving, loving fellow that I speak with frequently. And, um, you know, he really taught me. And then my sponsor shortly after he, maybe my sponsor had been saying it the whole time, but I didn't hear it, you know, um, until like my fellow said it and then I heard it. But, um, the idea that it's just my job to be a receiver, it's not my job to do it or figure it out or make it happen. Mm -hmm. I think that was when I really was like, Oh, my God gives me gifts. That's it. That's, that's all my God does. Um, you know, that wasn't like one day that it just happened, but, but there are many moments of remembering like, Oh, this person said this new thing in program that just like expanded the idea that like, I don't have to fucking figure it out. It was just like constantly being reminded that I don't have to figure it out, that it's my higher powers job to do that. And I just have to receive the good stuff that my higher power is bringing to me, even if, you know, it doesn't always look like I think it's going to look like a lot of times it doesn't. That's the fun, you know, it gets mm -hmm. me fun that way. What, uh, Any other last questions, Corey? This is my <laughs> last question for you. What, uh, what slogan do you use the most? What slogan do you think I use the most? Easy does it. Is it that the one? Is that the one? I don't know. That's the one I take from you the most. But that's yeah. also the one I used to work now. I think Easy Does It might be the one. Yeah. I think Easy Does It might be the one. I've talked about Easy Does It so much on this on our podcast already. Um, if there was a second in line, I would say Let It Begin With Me, which I've also talked about. Because, or maybe I'd like to use that one more. I think ideally I'd like it to be because it's the beginning, right? It's just like, you can't do step two, three, four, five, six without step one. How, mm -hmm. how it's a program of self-love and self-acceptance. So it's up to me to start with myself. Let it begin with me. Sometimes I want to, I want to let it begin with other people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Clearly it starts elsewhere. No, I love that. And um, that's a really good, good much from where uh, a slogan you loved and a slogan you want to spend even more time with so i will take that as a, a good way to close the show i love it thank Hopefully you for you know me. more about me now 
Yeah, thanks for telling us more about you. And I hope you, the listener, learned more about your your host, Claire, and their incredible recovery. And listen to more episodes from us coming soon. And uh, hit that subscribe. I can't wait to cut to next week when I ask Corey about all of his traumatic shit that makes him the person he is today. <laughs> and... Um, Oh, I just love you so much, Corey. Thank you so much oh, you for, for asking me those questions today. And I just, um, I get so much out of our relationship and I, I'm so grateful that we, that we met and all of that. I just could not say that. I just had to say that. Give some love on Aww. you. Mm-hmm. What a loving way to, way to wrap the show. Well, you know, I love you too. And I show that with lots of hard times. No, I do love you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't forget I'm the sardonic one to your sweet and mellow marshmallow center. That's true. Um, Well, thanks for joining us, and uh, we'll see you on the next one. And I forget how we end this show. We say keep coming back. Oh, yeah, right. Like a a meeting. Keep coming back. Keep coming back. It works if you work it, and you're worth it. Although, and you're worth it, I don't think is conference approved. Is it? Are you sure? Well, I know that here, here is not, and neither is, what's the other one we do? I think in your worth it is not. Anyway, that's a subject for another time. We'll find someone from the, from the uh, conference to discuss conference approved <laughs> and what that means. Oh my God, I just got so uninterested, but you're right. That'd be a good, it would be good. It would be really good. <laughs>